Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It's a special Monday edition, November 6, 2023, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. Uh, you can find me on X at Jason underscore OTC, or you can email me, Jason, at overthecap.com. Uh, joined by Nellie the Bunny, who's snacking on a treat right now, so Nellie has nothing to say at the moment and probably won't have much to say the uh, rest of the day. But, uh, yeah, we got a Jets game tonight, so excited about that. They came away with a win of sorts uh, last week, one of the ugliest wins I've ever seen against the Giants. Uh, hopefully they'll do well against Chargers tonight. I expect them to have, a, I think, a pretty good game. Um, Chargers have to travel. Chargers always shoot themselves in the foot. I think as, as long as the Jets' defense doesn't start incredibly slow, yeah, yeah they can give up a score, um, you know, early. They typically do, but uh, I think as long as they don't do that, I think they'll be okay tonight if that's uh, what it, you know, all it amounts to, and then they kind of tighten up. Um, so we'll see how that goes. So anyway, I was going to record this Saturday, and Fortnite, <laughs> I think that was the, uh, that was the basic thing. Uh, basically, was ready to go. Had some Southern Tier IPAs ready to rock, and um, that was about that. My son was like, oh, I'm going to go play Fortnite for a little bit. Like, All right. Did a couple things, started to type some stuff, and then I decided, hey, you know what? I think I'm just going to get ready for bed in a little bit, and uh, we'll call it a night. And I thought maybe I would do this Sunday morning, and that kind of fell by the wayside when we had a little bit of a repair I had to do around the house. So that one kind of fell through, so we figure Monday. Uh, I don't have anything going on tonight since the little kids football season is done. So I thought I could kind of sneak podcast in here since last week was pretty noteworthy since we had the trade deadline. And I think that's pretty much what I want to start with here. And then maybe talk a little bit about the Raiders after that. But, you know, you had a number of trades last Tuesday, I guess that was. And really it was three big trades. Um, you know, the, the other stuff, eh, that that's all kind of, you know, whatever. Um, biggest trade, obviously, is Montez Sweat goes to the Chicago Bears for a second-round pick. Um, from Washington's perspective, I thought this is a pretty good trade for them. And really, when you look at what Washington did, dumping the two defensive linemen, I, I think you get a pretty good idea of where that franchise is headed next year, which is, despite the fact that they're going to have a lot of cap room, I think a lot of that cap room is just going to be spent on kind of filling out that roster until they can get some guys on that team from the draft that could be difference makers and hoarding a little bit of that cap room to the future. Probably not that different than what you saw Chicago do last year where you've got, you know, they, they probably went in the last year with about $100 million, $110 million in cap room, uh, brought in a couple of players via trade, a couple of players in free agency, but they still maintained a pretty big cushion this way they could go and trade for a player like Sweat and extend him. This way they can still be active in free agency next year. Um, so I think Washington is probably headed down that route because I, I don't think Rivera would have really wanted to trade these guys. Uh, I'm sure he thinks that this team is competitive now. I think he figures that that's kind of the backbone of the team in the future. And you know, as I said last week, I, I think you're just going to get a lot of changes in Washington next year. Um, regardless of how this season finishes, you know, Washington is... What are they, four wins right now? Um, I think after beating New England. Um, you know, they're, they're not really going anywhere. They're as bad as some of the worst teams in the NFL. Um, so regardless of what the record is, sometimes, you know, obviously there's the Bill Parcells. You are what your record says you are. But that's not really accurate a lot of times. 
Uh, there's a lot of teams that play above. There's a couple of teams that play below. Uh, that's really more what that quote is meant for. Uh, there, there's teams that play above, and I would say Washington is playing above even with the four wins uh, or however many they have. Um, you know, ju- just from a, a any type of uh, efficiency standpoint, I would say what you look at with them is probably pretty um, pretty driven on. It's a lot. A lot of it's opponent driven. Um, you know, they're, they're finding their ways to beat some of these teams, and you know they they do match up well against Philadelphia. So I mean, they, they've given Philadelphia a little bit of a run there too. Um, you know, they didn't come uh, come out with a win, but you know they've done okay. Um, but you know, this tells you everything you, you need to know. Now Washington, you know, in their case here, and I think this goes for both trades. The other the other trade is uh, Chase Young to San Francisco for a third round pick. Um, you know, they weren't guaranteed to get anything next year for these players. So you can look to see what they have in cap room next year. Uh, $76 million, $77 million effective. I'm telling you they're not a very good football team. But they are going to have to go out there and they're going to have to add to this team in free agency, even if it's just to fill some voids, just to have a team that goes out there next year and, you know, tries to play somewhat competitive football. If you're going to be active in free agency, you're not going to protect yourself through compensatory picks. Uh, it's very difficult to do. It's a really hard game to play. Um, and you certainly aren't going to get a second round pick in return. You're not going to get picks in 2024. Those picks, even if you get them, are going to come in 2025. Uh, Sweat probably would have gotten them a three. Chase Young, I think it's debatable as to what he would have gotten them. So you end up with a number two and a number three next year. You move the salary uh, for Sweat off the books this year, which is... Um, about six or seven million dollars is what they transferred over to Chicago. So, you know, all in all, I, I think that this was just a a real good trade for them. Uh, you know, if you throw that in the trade calculator here, I already put that one in there. Uh, the expected return on that second round pick is about five point seven million. So, I mean, that that's a nice player is what you expect to get. And you know, obviously, there's a range of outcomes. Player might be a complete bust. He could also be, you know, a potential star. This is a pretty high. This is going to going to be a pretty high second round pick. Um, so you know that that's pretty solid for them. Uh, you can throw San Francisco's in there just to have it. We probably got to clear out these 2023s. I'll talk with Nick about that. He's away right now, but when he gets back, uh, I don't know if we have San Francisco stuff in here. Um, doesn't look like it. I'll just throw that in there. It's you know they're they're all about the same. So. You know, they, they pick up between the two players that they get about $10 million in value. Um, you know, and obviously you pay kind of pennies on the dollar for that production. And there's upside with it, right? When, when we're talking about our veteran players, um, you know, our return is immediate, but you're not getting four years. You're probably not getting three. You're probably getting two. And a lot of times that, that well, it, certainly in the case of Washington, that's not going to match up with anything Um you know, with where they are. Now, the more interesting thing is how this works out for Chicago. Uh, It's kind of an odd trade. This, to me, reminded me very much of the Giants trading for Leonard Williams from the Jets back in, is that 2020? I don't even remember uh, which year that was. And, you know, and ironically, Leonard Williams was also one of the trades that we're going to talk about here. But, this reminded me of the Giants trading for Leonard Williams. The Giants were completely out of it. 
Um, there was no reason to be a buyer at the, the deadline, but they went in there and they brought in Leonard Williams, very similar situation. Um, they traded, I think it was a th three and a five, three, it was either a three and a four or three and a five. Um, I think it was a three and a five is what they traded to bring in Leonard Williams. And then the following year, they extended him at $21 million a season, uh, which was a overpayment. Um, in large part because they had made that move for him. Now, the one difference here in Chicago's case that I, I will give them, in the case of the Giants, the Giants very much could have gone out there and probably signed Leonard Williams in free agency the following season. Um, the Jets were certainly not going to extend him, very similar to how Washington wasn't going to extend him. And while the Jets were shopping him, I don't think that the, the market, and you could see just from the, the price they got back from the Giants on him, you know, the market wasn't so robust that there was another team probably, you know, really waiting, um, you know, to blow the Jets away with an offer, which would mean that they wanted him so badly that they were willing to trade just so they could have the exclusive negotiating window uh, with him on top of what he could do to help a team that season. In the Bears case with Sweat, there were other teams that were interested in him. It was very clear that Washington was going to trade him for something. Um, you know, the rumors that the other team involved is Atlanta. Uh, but th there were certainly other teams that were interested in him. And the teams that were interested in him were not just interested in trading for him for this stretch run. They were interested in trading for him because they wanted to extend him as well. So he was probably going to come off the market as a free agent. So, you know, does that make it a lot better for the Bears? I'm not sure if it makes it a lot better, but uh, it's at least a little bit of a justification for why why you're making this trade. Um, you know, if we look at free agents for next year, I'll just run these by snap counts, edge. You know, it, it's not a great group unless you're going to go out there and get someone like Burns, assuming he's going to be available. Um, you know, that that's going to cost you a lot. Josh Allen's never making free agency. Um, yeah, Burns probably won't either. But, uh, you know, the, I, I think when you look at, you know, you look at these things, um, you know, I think that's kind of what you're looking at. Like, this is not what Chicago should be doing, is bringing in a player like that. Um yeah, you're not bringing in Yannick Ngakwe. You know, I know they have him this year, but I mean, you're not bringing him back again. Um, you know, Chase Young would have been someone. He's probably still going to be available uh, to them if they want to, you know, consider it. But it, it's not a great group of free agents as, as you get through this list. So they may have looked at this. You know, Huff's probably not getting there. Um, that'd be interesting if he does. But, you know, the the, the way that this probably works out is they're looking at this like, okay, we need to get a jump on free agency now. What is it that we need to give up? And they decided for a second round pick. Now, I think that's a very steep price to pay because this is going to be a high number two. Um, you know, if we put in there, um, I just put that in, so it's just going to be the reverse of it. So, you know, it, it's a it's a pretty decent, solid player that they're going to bring in. The other thing is you, you kind of leverage yourself into a big contract extension which they did very quickly because the deal wasn't done ahead of time. Um, they come in and they do a deal with him that averages uh, $24.5 million a season, I believe. 
yeah, 24-5. Um, I'll get into the particulars of the deal in just a minute here. Uh, you know, it, it's just a question of, is this a good use of resources, um, you know, to use that second round pick? And I would lean towards no. I, I would say that this is probably being too bullish on the impact of one player. Um, I'm not as concerned with the contract aspect of it because they have a lot of room to spare. Um, I think we project Chicago even after this deal, uh, you know, where he has a $25 million cap hit next year, uh, pretty straightforward numbers that you see there. Um, you know, we project Chicago next year with about $56 million in effective cap room. So that covers getting them to 51 players. That covers the impact of the rookie class, you know, the signing bonuses on everything. So, you know, that's still a big number. And even even if this number is wrong, as we've talked about, probably going to be, um, let's say they're at 45 million, or even 40 million. That's a pretty healthy number. And when you look at where they rank, you know, that's uh, still top 10, you know, eighth, I think, in the league. And that's always going to be relative. Like that number is not going to change just because this base number changes. All these numbers are going to be relative. And when you've got this much cap room, it really doesn't make a difference. And there's other things that they can do. So I'm not as concerned with the contract. I think there's a lot of people who have focused a lot on the, the contract numbers at the 24-5. They focused on the guarantee package here. And, you know, you, you're not you're not getting rid of them. Um, you know, I, I mean, that that's pretty clear. You know, his salary for 24 is guaranteed. His salary in 25 is guaranteed in a couple of months. So even though you see this 12 there, that number is going to jump up to basically uh, 37 or so. Um, you know, once this uh, locks in, or no, I'm sorry, it'll be, it'll be the same as this, 25 dead. Um, you know, you, you're not going to do that. Uh, you know, and then your decision point comes in 2026 when he has a $10 million guarantee that kicks in. it will be 30 years old. Um, guarantee kicks in third day of the league year, I think. I'm not even sure it's uh, third day or fifth. Um, you know, that guarantee kicks in, but it's only a $10 million guarantee. So, you know, they, they can they can maneuver around that if they have to. So I'm not concerned with this from their perspective. It's more the fact of, you know, mortgaging those draft picks, in essence, to buy free agency out from a player. Um, you know, and it, it's a it's an interesting argument because unlike the other two big trades. All right. Now, I'm going to be pretty critical of Seattle's trade, but at least Seattle does, in theory, have a win now possibility this year. Uh, San Francisco very clearly has a win now possibility this year, um, you know, with their their trade for Chase Young. So those are two teams that are in it. Making those moves, there might be an immediate benefit for it, uh, regardless of the extension potential that's in there. This is purely a move to bypass free agency next year, and you know, giving up a two for that. I mean, that that's that's a lot. Um, you know, that's that's a lot to to do that. Um, con uh, contract wise, I mean, this is a really strong contract for him. Um, you know, I, th I think it's a little bit on the higher side, but I think once you make a trade and you give up that second round pick for a player, um, you know, you you're pretty much going to be leveraged into that. You know, if you look at his numbers, never had double digit sacks. Uh, not that that means anything. You know, you can see we have his, his value at, uh, close to 18. And, you know, again, this is reallocation of everything. So from a free agency perspective, you know, I would say that 18, you know, translates more to someone that you would look at and say, okay, they're probably going to get 21, 22. So, you know, they're up at 24, 5. 
And, you know, that makes him the fifth highest paid? Yeah, fifth highest paid uh, pass rusher in the league. Um, you know, there, there's a big disparity. Even though Miles Garrett's at 25, th- there is a, a pretty decent disparity, though. It, it's getting a little bit closer um, where you get here. You can look at Miles Garrett's three-year cash is 80. We've got 77 for Sweat. So he, he is closing that gap that exists there. And then you move into, like, these three elite guys and, you know, they're in like a whole different realm um, when it comes to contracts. So it's like the, those three you can just discount completely. And, you know, the Garrett contract is pretty old. So, I mean, you can kind of discount that too. Um, you know, you're just working within the market. So I pulled up the numbers here that I thought would be something that's pretty good where you start, you know, breaking down this deal and seeing how it compares. So, you know, we're looking at our cash flows here and... You know, basically what we have, year zero, uh, for those not familiar, I consider year zero to be a raise that you get over your existing salary. Uh, So Sweat gets 14. That's a lot less than Gary's 28. That's simply because of the way Green Bay does their stuff. And you'll you'll see that um, as you get more along these lines here. This has more to do with the way they do their guarantees. Quinn and Williams, I know it's a little different position, but I wanted to take the highest pay to the youngest defensive tackles. Uh, He's at 16.5. Max Crosby was at about 13. Uh, Bradley Chubb was only 7. So, you know, th- this is a pretty solid number. Um, you know, if you throw this one out, which I think they would do as an outlier just because of the way Green Bay does everything, um, you know, you would look at that and say, okay, this compares pretty favorably with the rest of the market. Like, that's that's pretty good. Uh, you get into cash flows through year one. Gary's at 37. Sweat's going to be at 35. Quinn and Williams, 32. Blows away Crosby at 30.8 and really gets gets ahead of Chubb, who really was your comparable um, in a lot of this because he was traded for a one midway through the season last year. And now the he didn't get the benefit of the market really moving as much um, that maybe existed this year where you had the defensive tackles push the market and then Nick Bosa coming in and pushing the market. But, you know, if you would think that this is going to be your model... And you would work somewhat off that. Um, you know, now there's a benefit as well from Gary getting that deal done first. But, you know, the, these guys really jump above where Chubb was. So either you want to say Miami did a tremendous job or Miami's timing was just right on that. Uh, you get to year two. Uh, Sweat's going to pass Gary now, 56 to 54. We're way above Quinnen's 48.75. Uh, we've got Crosby at 50.2. And Chubb is down there at 47. Chubb's deal, remember, extends five years, so his effective value is a little bit less here. What's his four-year? He's at 22 total. Yeah, 21.9. So they used that last year to get him up to the 22 total. Uh, Year three, Sweat's at 77. Gary's 73.5. William's 75. Uh, This is where Crosby jumps up to get to 72. Chubb is at 67 and change. So you can see we've really got some distance coming sweat to the rest of the market. And, you know, that that's typical with a lot of contracts uh, where you see that turn, like that more effective turn in the third year of the contract. And then things kind of catch up a little bit again in year four, 98, 96, 96, 94, 88. So I think among all these players, it's pretty clear that this is the, the best in terms of the cash flow structure. Uh, the only argument against that would probably be Gary's deal that he signed a couple days before this one, uh, only because <clears throat> they do that big signing bonus. 
So, you know, you, you can look at, you know, how much money you're going to get right off the top um, and how that compares to really just waiting until year two uh, to make that jump. So if you look at the, the cash by year, now for Chubb's deal, I'm basing this on his four-year value, not the, not his five-year value. Uh, five-year value would be very different, you know, because he's at a, a 110 um, number, but I, I thought this was the fair way to do, excuse me, kind of an apples-to-apples apples comparison. Um, so Sweat's going to earn 14.3% of his entire contract this year, 35-7 year one, 57% by year two, 78%, 79% almost by year three, uh, and then, you know, pays out in year four. So if you look at his three-year payout, uh, this is the best best among all these players. Um, you know, that's your top number. Top number through year two, 57% of the deal. So not only does he lead in cash, it's also the, the strongest breakdown I think of those players, uh, again, you're ahead of everybody through year one new money, except for Gary, who's at 38.5%, you're 35.7%, and you know, then that first year, the Gary number is way up there, and you're going to see that with a lot of Packers contracts. You could do that with almost every single position with the Packers, and they're going to end up having these big numbers on the front end because they don't guarantee any money. Now, when you get into the guarantee breakdown on these deals, now, for this, for Bradley Chubb, I used the full total of his contract, which is 110, not the 87.5. Um, you can argue whatever you want with that, but I like to base these things a lot of times on the full value of the contract simply because it, it's showing what, what you're getting back for a trade-off. And one of the trade-offs with these deals, you are giving an extra year of control to a team. Now, while not a lot of veteran players make that fifth year, um, you know, how much are you getting in return? And I think when we start looking at that deal, you'll see he didn't get nearly as much in return as these other players. Uh, so Sweat gets your top guarantee at 72.865. Quinn Williams at 66. Bradley Chubb, 63.2. Max Crosby, 53. And then Gary, 34.6. Okay, so this is, why is that number so low? Well, the Packers only guarantee a signing bonus. Um, you know, that that's all they're, they're willing to guarantee out there. Let me fix the chair here. This is, uh, I got a new chair. I got to get that one set up. My, the old one is kind of breaking here. Um, you know, Gary is at, uh, you know, the 35 because they only guarantee the signing bonus. So this is why these cash numbers are so high on the front end because they do an incredibly large signing bonus to cover um, the, uh, to cover the, the salary, uh, to cover the guarantee. So that immediately bumps up your year zero salary. Um, and they usually throw a roster bonus in there in year two. And, you know, that inflates that year one salary. So by year two, I mean the first new year of a contract. Um, it mimics a guarantee, but it's not guaranteed. So we don't include that in there. Now, I want to work in almost all these contracts where I'm going to start looking at new guarantees. I know that's not the way they're reported. I know that it's only a handful of teams that actually negotiate that way. Uh, we've seen it with Philadelphia. Um Maybe I'm not even sure about Cleveland. There, there was one other team that did it. Uh, off the top of my head, I, I just can't remember what. So I'm adding in their existing guarantee. Now, these weren't guaranteed necessarily on a piece of paper. Uh, Sweats was, and you know, but someone like a Max Crosby was not. But obviously, they're not cutting him. You know, you're talking about a, a deal that's done before the season. That four million was locked that he was going to earn it. So we consider that an existing guarantee um, on the contract now. One of the things with Sweat and Gary that's different than some of these other players, uh, Chubb, I think as well, um, 
they had a 17th game check that was rolled into the contract. Um, in fairness, some of the other players didn't get that. Quinn Williams didn't get that. I don't think Crosby got that. I think, I'm not sure if Crosby qualified for it. I'd have to go back and look. Um, but you get an extra game check in there. Some teams are willing to pay it out. Some teams are not. Uh, they were able to get Chicago to pay it. So I'm just including that in there to, to, to kind of just make it a little bit cleaner. Um, you could argue that, you know, in the case of, you know, some of these players that the, the, you know, if Williams didn't get it, we should actually lessen all the numbers in his contract. Um, you know, lessen the, the cash flow aspect of it, um, you know, and break it down that way. Uh, but that, I just wanted to bring that up. Um, so Sweat's new guarantee works out to be $65.8 million. That's gigantic compared to everyone else. Quinn Williams is at 56.4. Bradley Chubb is at 56.15. Max Crosby's at 49. And Gary's new signing bonus gets him a new uh, 27.4. Uh, the new full guarantee on these deals, about $35 million for Sweat, uh, 34.9 to be exact. Uh, Quinn Williams is at 38.2. So he got a lot guaranteed at signing. Uh, 26.4 for Chubb. 22.5 for Crosby and the same 27.3 for Gary. So when we do that on a percentage basis, uh, Sweat's new guarantee uh, for injury, 67% of the contract. Um, next highest was Williams at 58. Chubb was at, uh, Crosby's at 52. Chubb is at 51. Gary's at 29. And the full, Quinn and Williams got the top with 39. Sweat's at 36. Uh, Chubb and Crosby are both at 24% of their entire contract value. And then the last thing you really want to look at here is your breakdown of how you earn these guarantees. So our new guarantee at signing, you know, we just kind of went over that. That's the full guarantee. By March of year one, so by the time when you normally would have been a free agent, uh, Sweat will have 55.8 new money fully guaranteed. Quinnen was only at 38.2. Chubb's at 46.15. Crosby's got his whole guarantee at that point of 49. Uh, Gary's at 27. I should just even stop talking about him. So that date that they got there, because they got them to guarantee the full salary in 2025, um, in the second new year of this contract, um, that's all guaranteed next March. So... That number is huge. Um, you know, Quinnen has to wait until the second year of his deal to earn a lot more of those guarantees. He gets up to 53.75 of his 56 million in the second year. Uh, Sweat is at 56 of 66 in his first year. Um, Chubb has a 10 million uh, guarantee that's injury only. So he hits 46.15. The $56 million total is just an injury guarantee. There is no vesting date on that, at least as far as I know. Uh, Crosby was the 49 total. He didn't get an extra year of guarantees in there. So, you know, that, that that's a real aggressive schedule that they were able to get on the guarantee structure. Again, that that's the leverage that comes with this type of trade that you do. Um, he gets in the third year of his contract, $10 million is guaranteed. It doesn't mean a lot. So it's nice to have the injury protection, right? So you've got injury protection, and that that's terrific. And in many ways, this functions as a almost the same as having like a $10 million roster bonus that's due in March. 
basically what this does is th this tells you that when you go back to his contract, uh, let me see if I still have it open, here, and you get to the 2026 year, which is the third year of this deal, third new year, um, you know, and you've got this injury guarantee vest to a full guarantee, and it's $10 million, I believe. Um, basically, it, it says, okay, you're either going to guarantee me $10 million or you're going to cut me and let me get into free agency. And at that point in time, assuming he's still productive, uh, at, you know, 30, 30 years old or so, he can probably go out there even after being cut. And being cut is a very negative stigma around the league. Um, he could probably go out there and earn, you know, 10 million bucks from a team. I, I think he would fall into that kind of category of solid player um, that would be able to earn that. So, you know, I, I think it's it's good for injury protection. It's good for timing protection. Um, but I, I, I can understand why Chicago included it if this is kind of what you need to, um, you know, to get a contract done. So, you know, all, all around, it's a very strong contract, I think, for him. Uh, I think if you were to ask me at the beginning of this season, would he have ended up with a contract like this? My answer would have been no. Um, I think even seeing the way that this season has gone, my answer still would have probably been no. Once the trade is done, this these numbers kind of came in right where I figured they would. Um, you know, I was interviewed about it um, pretty much right after it happened. I said, ah, what's the market? Ah, 24 to 26. <laughs> it's like, that's where it's going to end up. You know, the the numbers are just, that's where they're going to be. Um, you know, the other thing with this contract here, and this is something that, you know, I just thought it was kind of interesting. So the, these are the, the three deals um, that the, the Bears have done. Um, they haven't done a lot of new deals, at least not major ones. Um, it's really been three players, right? It's Sweat, Edmonds, and Komet. And this is the cash flow breakdown. The thing that I thought was interesting to look at here is percentage of our contracts that we have earned. And certain teams, you see a lot of variance in this. Sometimes it's a position-by-position position variance because it's based a lot on the market. Um, sometimes it's just a random variance because a team maybe did better with one agent than they did with another when it came to negotiating a deal. The thing with Chicago, you can kind of see a little bit of a pattern here. Um, you know, so the year one, there's a little bit more fluctuation, right? We've got 40% on Comet, 30% um, of the contract paid for Edmonds, 36%, I'm sorry, 36% for Sweat, 30.6% uh, for Edmonds, and 40% for Cole Comet. When you get to year two on the contract, this is all spot on. Sweat, 57% of his contract is all paid out by year two. Edmonds, 58.3%. Komet, 60%. Year three, 78.6% for Sweat, 79.2% for Edmonds. Cole Komet, 80%. And the only reason I mention it is because when you start to see little patterns like this with teams... It starts to make it, I think, a lot easier for you to really make a, a compelling argument once you kind of agree on a price. Because, you know, a team is going to make an offer sheet, and a lot of times that offer sheet might contain a annual contract value, um, you know, APY, AAV, whatever, you know, initials you want to use to refer to it, um, that kind of reflects the value that they see in the player. And the breakdown of what they give you is probably going to be very different, right? We talked about that Bradley Chubb deal. You know, when you go back to the cash flows on these deals, 
and you see Bradley Chubb at 26, 47, 66, or 67, um, you know, that that's very, very different than Crosby, who has a similar APY, I believe. Um, let me see, what was Crosby's APY? Crosby's at 23.5, Chubb is at 22, so somewhat similar. You know, Crosby is at 31 through year one, 50 through year two, 72 year three. Like, you know, he, he's jumping over um, a little bit here and there. And, you know, when he's giving up that extra year, um, you know, to do that, you know, you look at Quinnen's deal, you know, only 50% of the contract is paid out through year two, 74%, or 73% through year three. Um, with the Bears, when you start to look at these things and you start to pick up these kind of patterns, it makes it a little bit easier because once you kind of come up with a, a rough agreement, I think, on a price, you can kind of take some of that fluff that goes in those initial contract offers that come from a team with backloaded money to hit an APY and all that kind of stuff and just throw it out because it's just like, look, every player you have here is, you know, but let's call it 35, 60, 80. It makes it very easy for you if you can push up on that value to come, you know, kind of come back and say, hey, look, this is what you're doing with everybody. Like, there's no exceptions. Now, we don't have a, again, we don't have a big, um, big run of contracts to look at. But I, I think that that would be something, if I was Chicago, I'd probably want to look at. And if I was representing someone to negotiate against Chicago, I'd probably be, um, or negotiate with them. Uh, these are numbers that I would look at. Uh, breaking down the same kind of stuff on the guarantees, um, 67 for Sweat, 69 for Edmonds, 60 for Colcomet. This is on the new. Um, full is 36, 58, 40 for the three players. So, you know, the, the differences in a lot of these, you know, where I'm talking about new guarantees. And again, teams aren't necessarily doing that, um, you know, as much when it comes to uh, to factoring in these contracts. But again, you know, you've got a pretty steady range. I see a little bit more variation here. So my guess is there's more leeway to work with Chicago towards a certain guarantee. Um, how high that guarantee would be, that's a, that's a good guess, um, you know, to, to where that number would go. My guess is looking at these numbers, Chicago's probably basing it on the total value of the deal versus the, and by that I mean you add in the existing old money um, let me see if I can do that real quick here. Do I have the existing old? I think I do. Let me see. Let me see if I do those numbers here just on the total guarantee. I can't do it on the full. I don't have those right. Oh, what am I doing? I am hitting the wrong things here. I have the new guarantee. Oh no, I know what I did. Hold on. I am adding things wrong in my spreadsheet. All right, so it's 105 for Sweat, 72 for Edmonds, 52 and change. So you can see their total guarantees that they did here if you're following along on YouTube. I don't know what I did there. Total guarantee is 72.8. So. Edmonds and Sweat end up identical at 69.4% of the total value of that contract, including old money. Um, you know, on the deal, Cole Komet's at 61.9. And if we look at the full guarantee, 
Let's see if I can do those in there. All right. This divided by that. We are at 39.9% for sweat. 58.1 and 43.2. Uh, you know, Edmonds obviously is a free agent. It's a very different kind of scenario um, than when you're dealing with extensions. But again, you, you can see some of the tight stuff that's in there. And, you know, that probably represents some things. So my assumption would probably be that the guarantee of the $73 million, the one that you see, 72865 is the total, um, you know, which includes the old money that's in there. That's probably the max you could have gotten uh, because where you get to Edmonds at 69.4%, my guess is they looked at that like, okay, that's kind of the peak value that we're willing to do. So, again, my assumption with Chicago is your injury protection could probably be about 70% of the entire contract value. Um, that's probably where you can go. And the full is going to depend. If you're talking about an extension, probably anywhere from 40 to 45%. If you're talking about a new deal, I mean, you've only got this, it's only one data point and even even this three data points isn't a lot but when you start to see these numbers come up and i'm assuming everybody's represented by somebody different um you know it, it just brings up some trends in there that i think you you just kind of want to watch out for um so anyway that that's a nice i think breakdown of this contract and excuse me of uh you know just all the stuff with um, the the bears side of this in general uh next trade was san francisco they trade away a third round pick. Um, you know, a third round pick is value wise. Let's see. They traded with the commanders here. Let's pull them up. And 2024 third. This is going to be a compensatory pick. Um, so it's a it's a late one. Um, get rid of this here so you know it's about 4.3 million in value that san francisco gives up i don't know why i threw the bills in there um you know it, it's about about that uh that they give up so again when you get to washington's perspective i mean that that's a solid player that you can bring in for a player like chase young that you have no interest in keeping um from San Francisco's side, I like this because it's a player with upside. It's a player that needed a fresh start. It's a player that needs something new, and you're trying to catch lightning in a bottle if you're San Francisco and make a playoff run. You know that that's your goal. That's what you're looking to do is to go out there and make that kind of run. And this is your best player that's available, I think, for you to get. Um, you know, I, I think that that is, you know, that that's a that's a thing with them there now. Uh, I will say one of the areas that I think people have gotten this wrong from San Francisco's perspective is they're like, okay, you're giving up a late three now and you're going to get that same pick back in 2025 when he signs somewhere else. Right now, Chase Young is not going to get a contract that's going to get you a third round compensatory pick. Um, now, San Francisco isn't going to fight with the free agency stuff. They don't have enough cap room, so he'll be eligible for, for a comp pick, but... I would say at the moment, it would be highly unlikely that it would be a three. If it would be a three, you know, he would have probably gotten a lot more in return than a late third round pick uh, coming from San Francisco. 
you know, there, there's probably another team out there that would have done something. Um, I find a lot of a lot of comparisons between Jadavion Clowney and Chase Young. Um, you're looking at players who were high upside players, have had some injury issues through the years. Um, I don't think they're looked at as busts, but they're probably looked at as somewhat as disappointments. And one of the things with contracts, um, you know, it travels with you. That, that draft status travels with you in the free agency, but not if you kind of bust on two teams. Um, and bust, again, bust isn't the right word in this case. It's busting where we consider the lofty expectations that you have for a player that's picked so high in the draft. Clowney was number one. I think Young was number two overall. And, you know, you're expecting them to be Nick Bosa. You're expecting them to be that type of impact player, and it just never works out. You know, in Clowney's case, and, you know, I got it completely wrong. I thought that he was going to go into free agency and sign a deal in the, the low 20s. And that is what he was asking for at first. Um, you know, the Texans, I believe, tagged him the first time, and then they, they traded him away. And, um, you know, it was... It was, you know, what it was. He, he just didn't have any interest after going to Seattle. Um, you know, he didn't stand out in Seattle. And it's like, okay, this is two coaching staffs that couldn't get this immense potential out of him. And he became this player that signs, you know, one year, 12 million, one year, 15 million, one year, 10 million. Good work if you can get it, right? Um, but that was, that was where he ended up. He never ended up with that Montez Sweat style contract, the 24-5. And... That's kind of the numbers that you need to get that third round compensatory back. So I don't think that's where he's at. And Clowney, a lot of times, wouldn't even sign during the compensatory period simply because the expectations were so high. And yet some teams maybe that were looking to protect their own compensatory picks. Um, but I think his contract expectations were high enough to where it was like, well, I'm going to wait. And then it just became something like, well, I'm going to wait and pick the spot that looks like it's going to fit me best in the summer. Um, so... If you're San Francisco, you know, if he plays great and he's like the missing piece, yeah, he'll get you a third back. You may even extend him at that point. Um, but it, it's very dependent on how he plays. If the team flames out and he's just a body on the roster, you know, occasionally does some good plays, occasionally does some nothingness um, in there, he's he's not going to get you a third round pick. Uh, not going to happen. Uh, I got to pause this for a second. I will return. My uh, son is asking for something. Hopefully not to play Fortnite. We're going to see. We'll be back in a minute. All right, we're back here. Um, <laughs> had to just go and run and do something with Jacob real quick. Um, so anyway, I think what I was talking about was San Francisco with that compensatory pick. And, you know, just the, the odds of getting it are not that great. And that also goes for Washington. You know, the Washington excuse me, going to have trouble protecting that pick, um, you know, first of all. And then secondly, no guarantee he's going to get to that number. So um, I think this is this is probably a solid trade for both sides. I think that this uh, works out okay for both of them. And, um, you know, for San Francisco, you see how it goes. Uh, now, the final trade is Seattle. And Seattle gives up... Um, a number two and a number five for Leonard Williams. And I didn't understand this trade at all. Now, the Giants paid for this. So the Giants paid a lot of his contract, right? He was, um, uh, 
He was set to earn... Let me look up Leonard Williams here. Leonard Williams was set to earn $18 million for the season. The Giants paid $17.35 million of that $18 um, you know, in salary for the entire year. The Giants were never going to be a, a big contender this year, in my opinion. Um, I didn't think they'd be as bad as they are, but, you know, I didn't expect them to be very good. Um, you know, the Giants, they get a second and a fifth rounder, which is not listed here. Yeah, update a couple of these. Um, you know, so your return on this is about, you know, $8.5 million, give or take a little bit. going to depend on um, where Seattle ends up picking and everything else. But, you know, that, that's pretty good return, again, for a player that you were going to let walk in free agency. The question for the Giants, is this return, is the upside that's available from these picks worth paying $18 million? Because Leonard Williams had no salary guarantees this year. And quite frankly, there was no reason for him to be on the roster, given the Giants' salary cap issues, um, given the fact that he probably wasn't going to be a future member of the team, there really wasn't much of a reason for them to have him here this year at that salary. Like, they either needed to bring that number down, um, you know, to a more reasonable salary, or cut him outright. And, you know, they, they opted for the, well, let's just leave it as it is. If the season's good, we're probably not going to regret it. If the season's bad, at least we can still trade him. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot to pay. Um, for that second round pick. So, you know, you, your expected return, you know, on the two and the five is more than the $18 million salary, right? Because you're getting, in theory, three or four years at these levels. Um, you know, $5.7 million in value for four years. Um, now, maybe you don't get it for the first year, so three years. Uh, $2.8 million in value from the fifth round pick, you know, for four years. So, it is more than, than the amount that you're giving up, even when you factor in the salary that you're going to have to pay to these players, um, to the draft picks. But, you know, it, it's, a, um, it's a little bit, a little bit more, um, it's a little bit less of a return when you think about, well, what could you have gotten as an alternative? Let's say you traded him before the season, let a team deal with a, um, a new contract extension for him, uh, you know, what are some of the options that you could have done there? Could you have gotten a three and a, f uh, three and a five or three and a four or four and a five? You know, how would those numbers have played out where you would have still saved your $18 million? Um, unlike the Bears, the Giants do not have a great salary cap situation. Giants have made some of the most regrettable contract decisions the last couple of years. Um, you know, you see the Giants for next year, uh, 47.6 total, your effective cap space for the Giants. You know, $28 million. You know, that's not great. It's middle of the league. Um, you know, it's not a great spot to be in. So, you know, th there's there's some pros and cons, I think, from the Giants' side as to how they approach the whole situation. But now once you're locked in, you know, now at that point, paying the extra, you know, $9 million in salary for the year to get the two, that's probably worthwhile. Um you know, at that point, I think that's easily easily justifiable because um, Seattle is probably not making this trade if you don't pick up their salary. You know, I don't think this is a situation with Seattle because Seattle's cap room this year, where are they at? 
Seattle was at 6-7, so they were not going to be able to absorb um, that kind of number. So, you know, they, they weren't going to have the room to make that trade. And I can't imagine that there was like a big market for Leonard Williams. So I think, um, you know, in that case, uh, you know, I think the Giants, it's, it's not really a question of, you know, what is an alternative. This is probably along the lines of Seattle wants him. How high of a pick can we get from them? By saying, well, well, we'll pick up the salary to make this work for you. And, you know, this is pretty good. I mean, th this is basically the equivalent for the Giants of getting a, a late first-round pick. Um, from Seattle's perspective, I just don't understand. You know, this is where, you know, and I, I got a lot of negative feedback on X. <laughs> um, you know, when I, I, I made my original post on this on OTC talking about this trade and just made some observations in general, and it's like, you know, you, you start to get feedback of you you can't compare Chase Young and uh, or Montez Sweat and Leonard Williams. They play different positions. That's the first thing. It's like, yeah, they play different positions, but you're talking about young players and a player who's going to be 30 next year, I think. Um, and you're looking at those players going for a two and a three, both similar situations. They want new contracts. They're going to be free agents. And you're talking about a guy who's three, four years older than those players, also going to be a free agent, and you value him at a two and a five. Like, that doesn't make sense. You, you go back in time, you had young Leonard Williams, and he went for like a three and a five. How does old Leonard Williams go for more? Leonard Williams is no better now than he was when he was on the Jets. Leonard Williams is like a soft impact player. It, it's kind of a weird thing to, to say. It's like, he gets pressures they never translate into sacks. And my guess is that means that he the pressures that kind of that he generates um, are more along the lines of okay, you're moving the quarterback off his spot, but you're probably not getting that kind of pressure that's forcing him completely out of the pocket. You're not getting the kind of uh, pressure that's probably making him um, you know run into another defender on the team and get taken down. I think it's more of that aspect of you're pressuring him. It's going to change. It's obviously going to have an impact on the play, but it's a little bit different than when you just take a play and you turn it into chaos. Um, he doesn't do that regardless of what those pressure numbers might be. He's not making plays chaotic for the other team. When they played the Jets the other week, um, Dexter Lawrence made the game chaotic for the Jets. He injured two centers he was constantly after Zach Wilson, getting him all over the place. Um, whether that was him sacking him, whether that was him walking him into a sack, whether that was making him roll all over the field. Um, now I know on the last play, he or one of the last plays, you know, he hits the big pass with Lawrence in pursuit. I think Lawrence was in pursuit on that one. But, you know, that's an impact rush. Williams are very different than that. He's a great run defender. He's a good all-around player. His play level never tracked with players that are $20 million a year. His play level always tracked with that group of players that were 12 or 13, but he found a team that was desperate to trade for him in the Giants, and he had that draft, you know, that draft status as a, you know, top, what was he picked, number five, number six, um, overall, where, you know, a lot of people were trying to say, well, they got the best player in the draft. 
um, you know, at that number. So, you know, you, you had that at play and, you know, that led to him getting that contract, but he was never that kind of player. So I, I don't know what people are, are, you know, thinking that they're getting. And then, you know, you get these other comments like, well, he's a team leader. Sure, he's a team leader, I guess. You know, I've never heard a bad word about Leonard Williams. Um, that doesn't mean you're going to immediately walk into the Seattle locker room and turn them into a great defense, right? You know, is that is that going to happen? I wouldn't think so. Um, you know, I'm not looking at anything into the into the game that happened this week. You know, they just played a much better team. But my issue with Seattle on this is this is one of those spots where, and I, I think with Seattle five and two, um, I don't even know. Uh, I would say they are they were five and two. I, I think that might be what they were. They're a team where you know if you look at the little efficiency stats that I, I put up there. They track as a very average team. You know, it, it's similar to um, Minnesota last year, or Minnesota this year, probably. And they had a great win yesterday. But, um, you know, you kind of track as an average team. You'll probably beat the teams you're supposed to beat. You're not going to beat any of the better football teams. Uh, your quarterback is too consistent, uh, too inconsistent. Not enough upside that probably comes there. Um, you know, so... It's like, in my mind, yeah, you might make the playoffs. You're not really a, a contender for anything. And trading for a Leonard Williams probably doesn't make you more of a contender. Um, now, by no means is this as, as bad as the uh, Jamal Adams trade. But uh, the way that you evaluate this, and again, this is where more things come in. You know, and you're getting these comments from people. Oh, well, you know, we're going to extend him. So why do you keep talking about one year? Why do you keep talking about one year? You're talking about one year because, again, there's a player you can go and get in free agency for nothing next year. So what you are buying with your second and your fifth is the improvement that you're expecting in 2023. So if you don't improve, if you are one and done in a wild card game or you don't even make the playoffs, this is a complete waste of a trade. Because you would have had access to this player in the offseason for nothing. So... From Seattle's side, you are going to be able to evaluate this trade over a nine, you know, a nine-week period or so. You know, there, there's no, there's no what's going to happen later on. It's all about what is happening now. There, there's no future. You know, sign him, don't re-sign him, whatever. The only reason you have him now is to make an impact this year. And when you look at the other trades that went down. And you look at the position that the Giants are in, you know, why are you getting leveraged by the Giants for this trade? It shouldn't happen. So, you know, I thought this was just a really bad trade for them. Um, you know, I think it was just making a trade for the sake of making a trade. Uh, maybe part of this falls into the, the, you know, Pete Carroll kind of thing where, you know, it's that old school coach. And you're always in that process of winning now, um, which I kind of get. And, you know, you're kind of hopeful on your prospects that, you know, this player can make a difference. And, you know, sometimes you just don't want to come to the reality of what that situation probably is with the team. And in my mind, the situation with the team is that they're probably like an eight or nine win football team. You know, and eight or nine wins is not going to get you, um, 
you know, to, to where you're probably, you know, think that the, this move is going to get you. All right, let's take a look here at the Raiders. Uh, you know, let's get off of the trades here. The Raiders make a wacky, wacky, wacky move. Um, and, you know, maybe that's maybe that's not the way to do it. Maybe it was just a, a out-of-left-field move. They fire the head coach and they fire the general manager um, after last week's game. The timing of it was bizarre. Like, there was no rumors on this. There, there was nothing. And I know people wanted to say, well, you know, there was a mutiny in the locker room and that, that meeting changed everything. And yeah, you know, that, that makes for a good story. But if that's the case, you probably are not firing the general manager. Now, I know the two are kind of joined at the hip. Um, but, you know, you, you, you're, you're not doing that. You would get rid of the head coach and say, okay, the team is not responding to him, but I'm going to keep my general manager to handle the contracts at least through the end of the year, and then we'll see how things go by the end of the season. Um, you know, they didn't do that. They just cleaned house right away. And, you know, maybe partially it was because they didn't want McDaniels to get a win against the Giants, um, you know, and then have a game against the Jets, which will probably be an atrocious football game, um, you know, to watch. Maybe they just didn't want that. Um, you know, they just figured it was better to just get it out now, figuring you could do it. Or maybe they maybe they just didn't want to lose against the Giants, and maybe they thought that, you know, you get him out of the room, you got a chance to to beat a, a really bad New York team. Um it was just strange timing. In my mind, the only thing that could have really caused this to happen is the owner probably hated the fact that they've spent some money in the last couple of years. The Raiders traditionally are pretty cheap. Um, you know, they've had a bunch of contracts blow up on them and they didn't make any trades because this happens on the day of the trade deadline that night. And that tells me that the owner expected some, some Jimmy Garoppolo, Devontae Adams, one of these guys that's got guaranteed salary next year to be out the door. And when they didn't do that, when they couldn't pull a trigger, when they couldn't find a trade partner, I think it was just like, okay, that's it. Um, you know, you're out. You know, you, you've, you've cost me a, a ton of money with some of these deals and you, you, you're out of here. It's, it, you, we're not going anywhere positive. And, you know, I, I think that rash decision is made because of that. Now it's the right decision, even though it's a wacky timing. Um, you know, this is these are the main moves that this team that these two made, and again, you know, this is just where you, you have no vision of what you're doing. You know, you're taking over a team that should be rebuilding. I know you want to look at it and say, well, you know, they kind of made the playoffs that one year, or whatever. Um, it's a team that should be rebuilding, and the first thing that you do is you come in there and you're not rebuilding. You know, you go in there and you're you're it's like your first line of business is okay, I don't want to have the players pissed off at me. So what am I going to do? I'm going to extend Derek Carr. I'm going to extend Darren Waller. I'm going to extend Hunter Renfro. I'm going to extend Max Crosby. Derek Carr is gone after one year. You know, cost the Raiders an extra $10 million and a draft pick. Um, you know, they could have let Derek Carr walk as a free agent. They would have gotten back a third. They could have let Derek Carr, um, you know, do a tag and trade. And they probably would have gotten maybe a two, certainly would have gotten a three for him. Um, you know, instead they come back $10 million lighter, give or take a little, and they don't get anything in return at all. Hunter Renfro, not even used. You know, it was like they signed him to an extension that pays him almost $16 million a year. 
made him, you know, in that 1B, 2A category. And once he actually started seeing him play, it's like, I, I he doesn't fit my offense. It's like, then what are you doing giving him a $16 million a year contract for? Same thing with Darren Waller. Now, I know Waller was hurt, but it's like you spend the whole summer, like, hemming and hawing over these things. You go, you make him the highest paid tight end in NFL history. Now, it's a, it's a little bit different than some of the other deals. Um you know, you get a couple of games out of them. You you lost a couple of million dollars, and you get a late pick back. You know, for going to the Giants. You know, you went out there and you signed Devontae Adams and Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, those are big money deals. The Crosby deal obviously worked out. He's terrific. Um, you know that end, that right now is a steal at twenty three five. You know, Josh Jacobs. It's like you turn down the option year, which was the right move. He goes out and he has a good season. Let him walk. Now you, you come up with another deal to do 11-8, and you're doing it after Barkley does a deal um, that doesn't have the same upside. There you go, and you do Jacoby Myers. And it's like, at what point do you look at this, if, you, if you're the Raiders, how do you not look at this and say, we've got to rebuild. What are we doing signing Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones? Like, these are guys on the wrong side of their career, and I know Adams is a great player still. You know, and then when Carr, when it doesn't work out with Carr, what in the world makes you think it's going to work out with Jimmy Garoppolo? The dude is always hurt. He's not that effective. It's a lateral move at best, and you guaranteed him probably a little bit. Eh, no, you know what? It's probably less than Carr, because I'm forgetting Carr would have kicked in a year and a half's worth of guarantees, um, you know, at a bigger salary. <coughs> but it's still, <coughs> excuse me, pretty much a lateral move. Like, at some point, you just have to make that decision and do it. And I know people dislike McDaniels and the the Raiders have gone out of their way to bury him now that he's going out the door. Um, you know, the, the way that they are, you know, talking about him is really a, a, a burial. Um, you know, and I, I get it. They have to do that, right? Um, you know, you're trying to make excuses for stuff, but... There are no excuses for these moves. It's just no vision. It's no thought process at all. Um, <clears throat> you know, and it, it's just hard to understand what they're going at. What they're going at here now. I would think Garoppolo is the guy that they wanted to move, uh, mainly because he ended up benched. You know, they 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 benched him now, and I I don't really understand the benching. So here's the thing: I, I, we had this wrong on uh, OTC. Um, the original Garoppolo contract, you know, we, we've talked about the different issues that came up with Garoppolo. The, origi- uh, the original Garoppolo contract had half his salary in 2024 fully guaranteed and half his salary guaranteed for injury. Uh, when everything was actually filed, and I don't know how we missed it because we got the other thing right, uh, way ahead of everybody with that whole injury waiver thing and the signing bonus stuff, um, Garoppolo was, he lost that injury protection. Um, they gave him the half, half of his salary is fully guaranteed. The other half of his salary has no guarantee with it at all. So there's no risk of an injury causing some additional money to come in. So him being benched is really odd, um, you know, to do that. 
you know, given the state of his contract. Now, I, I made the, the statement, and I, I think I would do this if I was them. I would try and cut him. Now, the only problem for the Raiders for this is they don't have the cap space to do it at the moment. So they would have to uh, restructure a contract, which I'm sure they could do. Um, you know, the Raiders have $9 million in cap room. And, you know, to cut to cut him, they would need an extra eleven to five. So they'd have to create a couple of million in cap space. But with Colton Miller at a 14-2-5 base, um, you know, you, you can easily create a couple of million dollars. You see a couple of these guys have their P5s, their base salaries are over minimum. So you could easily create the space. So the reason that I would cut him is, one, it's obviously a bad thing to have him on the team. I think that's a that's a given at this point. Um, you know, so you just you completely cut free, you move on. The second thing is he is of he's going to be available via waivers. So there's a chance that another team that's out there would claim this contract because he's only going to cost you a million dollars this year, and all you have to do, or a little over a million, it's the um, prorated portion of one point one six five. And however many weeks are left in the season on the per-game bonuses. So probably like 1.2, 1.3 million total, um, you know, for this year. And then next year you'd have, if he sucks, you know, an $11 million charge that you'd have to pay him. Uh, There would be an offset on that. And I'm sure he would get something from another team, probably just the minimum. Um, But, you know, if I was the Raiders, I would just roll the dice and see what happens. Um, You know, and... That offset remains, so even if he doesn't get claimed, as long as he plays football in 2024, that offset still exists. And if he goes out there and another team takes him this year, and, you know, let's say, uh, just for argument's sake, uh, you know, I don't... I, I, let's say the Vikings. I know they had the game with Dobbs yesterday, but let's say the Vikings took a shot, or let's say the Jets took a shot... If he goes and he has a good season with those guys, with any any team, you know, and you, you could pick and choose any of these teams that are here that maybe could use a quarterback. Um, if he goes out in a stretch run and he goes and he does decent enough and wins a playoff game or something, even if he doesn't re-sign with those teams, he's at least going out there and getting playing time with a decent football team that has a little bit of a playoff chance. And that could lead to him signing a contract if they were to do well in the playoffs for certainly more than your $11 million offset. And you get your money back. If you just let him rot on the bench and then you cut him in March, he's probably just going to sign for like a million dollars with another team next year. So I don't understand what the delay is. Just, Just get it over with and cut him. You know, let him go through waivers, let him sign with another team, let him go out there and play. Play and try to up his value, which is only going to help you next year because the only way you're going to get your your money back on that offset on the contract is if he goes out there and earns a contract that, you know, that is worth $20 million a year. You know, maybe you're waiting until the time is right. You see, maybe if Purdy is incredibly ineffective, maybe you can get... San Francisco to go to jump back in on him if you cut him. Um, but that's what I would do. You know, do it now, make a team think about it, and make a team sign him. You know, I, I think that would make 
all the sense in the world for the Raiders. Uh, but that's not what they're doing. Now, obviously, they're flying high after beating up on the Tommy DeVito Giants. Um, won't be the case after they get beat up by the, you know, Zach Wilson Jets next week. All right. Let's take a look at some questions here. All right. We'll do... Let me do the emails first. And then we'll do the... I only had one email question, I believe. Whoops. I don't know what I just did. Oh, what did... <laughs> uh, Jacob. Who knows what he signed up for. Something in the browser I got to get rid of. All right. Anyway. Okay, let me see. I know I got one Saturday. I didn't open it, but I saw that there was a question. I don't think there was anything from earlier in the week. Where is it? All right. This is from Cameron. Um, I think this is the only question. Why don't all players negotiate a percentage of their guarantees <coughs> um, to be paid out as a roster bonus owed every year in March? Um, <clears throat> a lot of times the, the guaranteed aspects of these contracts, you know, you're negotiating a lot of times um, <clears throat> just up to a number. A lot of times the components of that, unless we're talking about someone who's a real super, superstar player, um, <clears throat> the, the components of it a lot of times are dictated by a team. So that makes it a little bit more difficult sometimes to be able to just say every year, <clears throat> you know, like I'm going to get a roster bonus. Um, you know, you, you can see like Sweat didn't get that. Um, you know, I'm just pulling his contract up again here. You know, he didn't get that in any of the years. He just got it in the, the last year of it. But those are a little bit of trade-offs that come in because at least in, in this case, using him as an example, his $20.9 million salary in 2024 will be paid out over 36 weeks versus the roster bonus. You know, he probably would have earned, you know, gotten a check for maybe half of that roster bonus in March. The other half would have come, um, you know, maybe over the course of 18 weeks or something like that. So... A lot of that's going to be dictated by the teams. I think the teams for the players that are a level above, like the super, super elite players, um, I think they can kind of dictate a lot with the terms when it comes to signing bonus payouts and everything else. Whereas when you get, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, into, you know, the, the top level players, they have more ability to dictate that stuff because the teams are really looking um, for those guys. But, you know, that that's a reason why that that doesn't happen. A lot of times it's very dependent on um, uh, on the teams themselves. Um, let's see this. Oh, if you want to check these out, so if you're following on YouTube, you can look at these. I took some of the uh, EPA numbers for wide receivers last week. Um, I thought these were pretty interesting. This is from uh, Sumer Sports. And, um, you know, it just shows you where the salaries go um, versus the productivity for, you know, a lot of the veterans and highly drafted players. And, you know, I thought it was pretty interesting, <clears throat> um, you know, just to see how some of these deals work out, um, you know, or have worked out this year, um, you know, for some of the teams. Anyway, you can see that on my Twitter feed if you have any interest in that. Um, all right, let's go to questions on X. 
All right, a couple of questions, and then we'll call it a evening, and we'll get ready for our jet ski. All right. Jason, would you consider adding to the OTC website team page as a section that shows a detailed list of adjustments? Uh, NFL cap, carryover, earned NLTBE, uh, incentives, unearned incentives, earned per game, plus base salary, guaranteed offsets. Um, that would probably be, you know, a little bit too much to do. Um, so, first of all, when it comes to the detailed list of adjustments, that's hard. I, I can never project those. I'm usually within a couple million of them. Um, maybe a little better than a couple of million. But, you know, a little bit of it. It's There's a lot of things that we don't know about um, in the contracts. Typically, they, they deal with a lot of things with, like, insurance money that comes back to teams. Um, you know, those are based on different policies and the way the payouts go on them. You know, uh, so we don't really get that kind of stuff um, with it. So we do have, um, you know, in, let me just see here. So I have to do a little bit of work on these, but now this is on a player perspective, which is a little bit different. Um, he's not going to have incentives. Who's a player that has incentives off the top of my head? Um trying to think of a new contract but now I'm trying to think of um maybe Garoppolo has incentives since we were talking about him before pretty sure he does so you know for example um here we have like payout structures payout schedule vesting schedules um there's in the premium section so you can see the um incentive schedules here so you know that this has got his um you know, the different thing is that we know he has um, stuff for. Uh, you know, we also put per game bonuses in here if the player has that. Um, usually we put them in. I thought that he has them. Maybe I just didn't put them in or maybe maybe those don't show. Um, you know, we have statistics before and before signing, after signing, you know, ba baseline statistics. Um, you know, that we had this is, you know, his career, not just a... Uh, um, you know, a couple of years, um, you know, before, but you, you can do things that way. Um, you know, this is average over his career of playing uh, versus, you know, last two or three years. Um, so, you know, we, we do have some breakdowns there. On a team basis, I don't think we do. Um, you know, we, we have some different stuff in there for teams. You know, if you, if you wanted, you know, breakdowns of the roster, if you want breakdowns of their contract structures, you know, how they're doing them for free agents, extensions, street free agents. If we're looking at um, percentage payouts on a contract, um, you know, based on the type of contract that, that's there, you know, positional contract distributions. You know, we have all that kind of stuff for teams, but not so much the breakdown of those, um, you know, incentives. So I, I don't know if I would really want to get into doing it. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe I'd have to look to see. Um, I think I'd have to look more to see with what we keep now, how that would work on a team-wide basis and if it would be worth investing the time into doing it um, to put that out there. Uh, Shelby, what's the name of your podcast? It's Over the Cap Podcast. I guess I should reply to that. do that right now there we go 
All right, Paul. Uh, Ravens have three young, above-average defensive players. Um, would be interested in what you think their deals would look like if it makes sense for the Ravens to bring back all three. Um, so, number one, no. It does not make sense for the Ravens to bring back all three. I, I can already tell you that. That has never been, um, you know, the, the way that the Ravens do stuff. Um, it's not going to be the way they do stuff, you know, moving forward. Um let me see what their cap room is right now. Let's pull that up. Right now I have them projected at, you know, 17, 18 million. Um, so I, I don't I don't see that. Um, you know, Queen, I would say definitely is a no. Um, I'd have to give some thought again as to what they look like. I'm still not in that mode of really doing the um, off-season contract projections. Um, but I, you know, the Ravens historically have let players walk and I think that's what they would do, um, you know, next year. Certainly they're not bringing back all three that, that I'd be very confident in Colin, uh, what would an extension for Chase Young look like if 49ers wanted to give themselves as much injury protection as possible while, uh, paying a premium for delivered production? No, they, they shouldn't even consider any extension for him right now. I, I don't even know what that number would be. Because if I'm Chase Young, I'm probably not taking a deal because it's going to be less than what I would get if I go out and have a great half a season with San Francisco. And, you know, if I'm San Francisco, I'm not doing a deal because I'm in for the short term. You know, my cap next year is not great. I'll deal with that issue if Chase Young becomes a great part of my defense. I'm not going to deal with that issue, um, you know, just ahead of ahead of time on that alex i feel like poles is working his way to cancun uh don't most of these moves make a gm fireable so no i don't think they make a gm fireable but i do think that um it, part of this move I, I think you could and i didn't mention that before but part of the move is probably um again knowing that your third year that you're going to be on the job is very critical and when you get into it and say, well, he's going to get traded to another team. There's really not another option in free agency. It's really important for us to have a player like this. I understand where the move comes from, um, you know, given that. But, <clears throat> you know, if things don't turn around for Chicago next year and they don't get that young quarterback, um, you know, who looks like he's going to be a stud, you know, um, it, it's going to be it, it's going to be tough for him. You know, I, I think that that's now obviously they're going to be in a great position to do it. You know, I made the Twitter comment, X comment, um, you know, which always gets some interesting comments back in return that, you know, when, when you see right now the performance of CJ Stroud, who is killing it, and the performance of Bryce Young, who looks like a total bust. And first year, you, you throw it out. Young may end up being great. Um, you know, when you when you have a player that plays that poorly as a rookie at that position, hey, throw it out. But, you know, it, it, to me, it's just the perfect example of why if you were in a position to draft two quarterbacks, you take two quarterbacks. Because why put all your faith in a, in a position that's probably got like a 40 or 45% hit rate at the top of the draft? And that, that's not even talking about like elite talent. That's just talking about being okay. Um, you know, so... Imagine if you were in a position, now Carolina wasn't in that position, but Chicago might be this year, 
where you could take the two quarterbacks and you could have had a situation where you had Stroud, you had Young, you probably would have known through practice that one guy can play and one guy really can't right now. So you hide the one who can't, you have the one that can play that's out there, and then you know you see what kind of moves you can make. Um, but you know, I, I think the other thing with Chicago, just to finish up on them, I think the other thing that he probably should have done, he probably should have worked the phones really hard to trade Jalen Johnson. Um, I don't know what you could get in return. I don't know if it was a two. I don't know if it was a three. I think if they could have pulled off the same thing they did last year, where, yes, you did trade the two and it was the higher two for Claypool, but you brought a two back even though it was later. Um, I, I think that had they done that this year, that would have taken the sting of that second round pick down a notch. Um, I, I, I think it would have. So if it was me, I would actually say that was the bigger mistake because I don't see them re-signing him. And I don't see them being in a position where they're going to get much as a comp pick. Now, maybe you try to tag and trade, but that doesn't always work. Um, so I I think that that was probably the bigger mistake that was made. Once the decision was made, you're going to try to make a trade for Sweat or um, Young or whatever. You probably wanted to move these guys that you're not going to keep, um, you know, to, to just maintain that draft capital. And I think he missed out there. Mark, uh, do you think Miami will extend two after the season, let him play out the option? If extended, how much would he be looking at? I think they'll extend him. Um, I'd guess, you know, 53, 51, you know, in, in that same ballpark is, you know, all these other guys, um, you know, at the position, I'm not even going to pull them up. Um, you know, probably like that, 51, 52, 53. Um, I don't think he'll reset the market. Anything's possible. Um, I don't think he will, but I do think they'll keep him. Um, you know, I think with Tua, and I know I've said this about Burrow, um, I think it's even more so with Tua, I think there are players who elevate the talent around them, and then you have some quarterbacks that, I don't want to say the quarterbacks are elevated by the talent, but the quarterbacks need the talent around them to be able to thrive. And I think the system that they run in Miami, and I think the players that they have there um, have made it very easy for him. It fits in with what he can and can't do. Um, the question is, are you going to have the access to those same type of players once your quarterback is making $50 million a year? And it's not like, at least I don't think so, um, you know, off the top of my head, you know, the Dolphins been proactive and they're, they're already looking at a replacement for Tyree Kill. Um, yeah, I know that sounds crazy to even say he's the top receiver in the NFL or top two. You know, A.J. Brown's probably having a better season overall. Um, you know, Hill is just ridiculously dangerous, just wide open. Um, you know, and that that's the thing. Like, Tua, I feel like, is dealing a lot with receivers that are just really wide open. Um, like, A.J. Brown's just big target. Like, A.J. Brown goes and just gets the ball and... You know, you, you feel like even when a guy is on his hip, you know, he, he's going to make that catch. And I'm probably not giving him enough credit for being as open as he, he is. Um, but I feel like in Hill's case, you know, and they, this is, you know, they, they had those, uh, 
receiver metrics on ESPN where they, they really downgraded Hill for basically saying his yards after catch are meaningless because he's so wide open. It's like, well, he's got so many yards after catch. Yeah, you would expect a guy to have a lot of yards after catch, but there's a reason he's that wide open. <laughs> he's blowing past people. Um, so, you know, I... I I think they'll extend him, but I, I do think, and, and I'm, I think Miami's aware of this too. Um, you know, I, I don't think they're going into this blindly and just being like, okay, we can gut the roster around him and he's still going to be highly effective because I don't think he's the same as Mahomes. And obviously Mahomes is hurt this year by not having the great players around him or better players around him. But Mahomes is one of these guys that is going to make... Um, you know, he, he's going to make something out of anyone they put on the field. You know, he'll spread that ball around, short passes, intermediate passes. He'll do a bunch of stuff on days when he doesn't have it or the team doesn't have it. You know, end of a game, maybe he'll do enough, just enough to get by. I don't think a, a quarterback like Tua gives you, you know, that type of option. So I, I don't think that when, when you end up, if you ended up in a situation like Kansas City is in right now, where you've got a older, very productive tight end and a bunch of like other guys that really don't get open and that there's no consistency. Mahomes can go out there and do some really good stuff with a group of players like that. Um, I don't think Tua can. You know, Josh Allen can go out there on a day when Diggs isn't having a great day and if Josh Allen is having a good day, and Josh Allen doesn't have good days all the time, right? You, you, you're not going to get that from him either. But, you know, he can go out there and he can have games where even though his second and third receivers aren't much, he'll make them look like stars for a game. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if, I, I don't think Tua is that kind of player. Um but I, I think he's definitely going to fall into that category where Miami would look at this uh, from a very objective standpoint and say, there's better quarterbacks in the league than him. Um, there's probably better options maybe one day in the draft than him. But for where things stand right now, we need him on the field. We, we can't get into you know these issues of fighting with him over a contract and everything else. And you know, for a lot a lot of teams, that caused a lot of problems down the line. But that's the way the league works, and I, I think that's what's going to happen um, with Miami. Davey, can I have some money? Uh, once again, I will say you can, just not for me. Uh, Anthony, is this new sweat contract and the preceding Gary contract the new floor for edge contracts? Um, they're certainly not the ceiling. Um, I think you could probably argue they're going to be a floor. Um, you know, the Sweat contract, the, the Sweat's play, even though he's not an upper echelon player, um, you know, he's a very good, solid, all-around player. Um, Gary is different. He, he's, a, he's a good, you know, all-around player. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from him. Um, he's, let me just pull up his numbers. You know, he's been injured a bit. Um, you know, he's, you know, he's still kind of fits that part-time mode. Um, you know, 63% of the snaps in 2021, 
Last year plays about half the game, so he was on pace to probably play about 60% of the snaps. Um, you know, same, you know, th- this year those numbers are down a little bit unless we have something off in our snap counts, which which might be the case. Um, I would have thought he would have been a little higher this year. Um, so I'm not going to look that up in PFR. But, uh, you know, it, let, let's call it 60%, um, you know, snap count kind of stuff for him. Um you know, it's lower on the end. It's very, it's much easier to begin to compare to a player like that, um, you know, than some of these other types. So, you know, when it comes to the Jets with Huff, you know, it's easier to compare to someone like this. Difference, big difference being that you're talking about a first-round pick. Um, you know, but it's easier to compare. So, I do think that these these guys kind of become the floor. And I think, I think one of the things here that benefited both of them. Um, probably especially Gary, is, you know, when, when we talk about, like, the negativity on certain contracts, um, you know, you, you, like running backs, right? Your running backs do poorly, and it's like, well, that's a real negative impact on the entire market. Um, you know, it's like a bunch of these old pass rushers do badly on $20 million contracts or $17 million, you know, Chandler Jones, Von Miller, or whatever. Yeah, that, that's, that hurts for the next group of players that comes out and is older. Um, you know, where you got certain quarterbacks that flop out, you know, it, it hurts, um, you know, when the next group, um, you know, comes through. I think the same can be said here that in the case of Crosby, where you had a player, now Crosby played more um, than these guys, if I remember correctly. Let me just pull up where Crosby was. Yeah, you know, his snap counts were way up there. But, you know, you look at these things and you're worried that the player becomes this, where, you know, clearly one of the top two players at the position, um, you know, worth every penny, and you're worried that you you miss out on that um, for it. So I I think that these guys benefited from how good he's been um, versus the opposite end of it, which is when you get these higher-end contracts that fail and that impacts the rest of the market negatively. <coughs> Jason, I'm guessing Joe Douglas has done enough to retain his position for a while longer, but realistically, what percentage of GMs are really worth extending? A lot of so-so ones, don't they hang around too long? Shouldn't teams fire so-so GMs after four years? Um, I think in the, the, the way that things are driven right now, um, I do think that's the case. I, I think... You know, in most cases, I, I think there's a lot that you can evaluate. Um, you know, sometimes I, I think if you look at the, the entire process, um, you can say that, okay, the results maybe haven't been there on the field, but the way you're going about building this team is the right thing. You know, it's you whiffed on a quarterback. You know, it was your one shot you had a quarterback, and there was only one quarterback available. You know, there's not much you can do. Um I don't think, I think if you evaluated the Jets process, I don't think Jets process is really good. Um, I think they're good at evaluating players they can claim. Um, They're good at trading away veterans or young, young veterans that they have. They're not good at a lot of the other stuff. Um you know, that comes with it. 
But, you know, they, they've built a solid enough defense and, you know, it is what it is. Uh, you know, around the league, I mean, I, I think when you look at, you know, general managers or you, you look at, you know, the different teams around the league, um, you know, a lot of these teams, you know, that, that have people who have been there for long term, you know, there's probably not a lot of things that are done where he's like, eh, you know, keep them, cut them, whatever. It's just a question of, you know, how, how often do you want to overturn your organization? Um, you know, when your organization turns over, you know, is that going to come with a rebuild or is it going to come with whatever nonsense the Raiders just did? Um, you know, so, I mean, those are those are questions you have to ask yourself about you know, someone being around for four years and, you know, this feeling like you're going around in circles, you know, that you're never like a winning football team. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not I'm not really sure the answer on that. You know, I, I think that I think overall you have to evaluate the big picture. And sometimes, you know, record is obviously important, um, but sometimes you got to take a little bit of that out of the equation. Um, you know, and probably look, because I think what happens is that most get fired because the, the teams do poorly, um, you know, and that they're not, you're not seeing that quick, rapid improvement that you would hope to hope to see. Um, and some of those are perfectly valid, but my guess is you're probably missing out on a couple of, you know, really good, um, you know, young, younger GMs that maybe could grow into the role and just, you know, haven't, haven't been that lucky. Um, you know, I, I would say that, you know, looking at, you know, with the Jets, for example, you know, Mike McCagnan that first year came in and I think he won executive of the year. Um, you know, the, everybody was all over the Giants last year for the job they did. <coughs> um, you know, up in Buffalo right now, and I, I think Buffalo is arguably been the best front office for a period of time you know last year you started to see them make moves that didn't really make sense in the big picture and you start chasing something and this year definitely didn't make sense in the big picture and you're seeing them pay for it i think with the very inconsistent product that they have on the field and a lot of injuries um you know and you're talking about you know three general managers in this case where you're gonna you know, McCagnin was gone after a couple of years. You're already starting to hear rumblings that the Giants made the wrong decisions a year after these guys were praised as being, like, the next coming. And I think pretty soon you're going to start to hear some stuff about Buffalo with the coach and the GM that maybe they need some changes if they want to get, you know, more out of Josh Allen's career. Um, now, I'm not saying that they're going to be loud calls, but I, I do think that this is going to be the first time that you're you're really going to hear people talk critically about what's gone on in Buffalo. And, you know, th these are general managers that have been, um, you know, recognized as great general managers or at least talked about as being, you know, terrific general managers. And, you know, then things change. So I, I think, I, I just think you, you've got to take a, a real overall look. And I know that everything runs very quickly in the NFL, rapidly. Uh, and I know I complain all the time about search firms, but, you know, there are enough people within the sport, in the sports community, 
Um, you know, wh whether you are, you know, I'll throw myself in there for some of the stuff we do, um, you know, uh, on the consulting side of it. Um, you know, certainly something like a pro football focus, um, you know, maybe uh, football outsiders for a while. Um, you know, the, the st Aaron's still there doing his thing. Um, you know, after the site was kind of taken a little bit from him. Um, you know, the, the groups like Assumer Sports, um, you know, who are out there and your own analytics departments and stuff. And I, I think sometimes it's good to get an outside perspective because you're not tied to anybody on these teams. Even if you have someone and you, you know them and you like them, um, <clears throat> you know, if someone tells you to give an honest evaluation about the team, you know, data-driven, um, you know, with some, some of your own thoughts just on how what they're doing has compared to what other teams have done around the league, I think there's a benefit to that because you're going to get pissy. I get it. You're going to get annoyed because I'm sure I would too. Um, you know, if you're the general manager of a team, you're the coach of a team, and um, person asks you a question at a press conference that you feel like they're telling you how to do your job and you've just had a loss. Um, you know, and you, you just get aggravated about it. But when you take the emotional part out of it um, that comes sometimes from, you know, right after a game uh, or even something with the that group, and you come up with somebody that just, you know, gives you a report and it's well thought out and, um, you know, written out for you, has the arguments, pros and cons, and just brings some stuff there. You know, it, it, it's good to, to self-evaluate, um, you know, and, you know, may, maybe that can open you up to some things that you want to try to do differently. Um, you know, and people do not look, I, we get stuff that comes in from, you know, GMs and football admin people for stuff that will write or something that I'll say, you know, positive and negative. Um, you know, because people are, you know, you, you scour for ideas anywhere and everywhere, right? You're looking everywhere. So there's no reason not to do it for, you know, to not do it formally and reach out and say, okay, you know, what would it cost to contract you to do a, you know, just an overview of where we are? You know, whether it's from a contractual standpoint, what, what is our contract? What, what does it look like compared to other teams in the league? What What is our draft management? Um, you know, not my department, but what is, you know, fourth down decision making look like for our team? What is our, um, you know, how would you evaluate usage of timeouts, personnel usage, um, you know, speed of play, you know, different, different things, you know, and how they compare and, you know, what you've seen from samples of the team. And what might be areas that you would say, you know, maybe you can improve on this. Um, you know, and they might have arguments to say why they can't. But, you know, I, I think those are discussions that are worth having. Uh, but, you know, owners don't do it. General managers don't do it enough. Um, but I, I think that's that would benefit everybody. Thomas, you think the 49ers will get into the third round comp pick if they let Chase Young get in free agency? Would franchise tag make sense? Uh, I guess long term, uh, Young is a huge risk because of his injury history. Oh, we have a beer of the night. I unfortunately do not tonight. Um, but anyway, uh, no, you know, I went over that before. Yeah, there's no there's no lock. They're going to get a third round pick for Chase uh, Young. He's going to have to do, I think, really well with them. In which case, yeah, maybe that tag makes sense at that point. So I, I just, I don't know. I, I just don't see the comp pick scenario, the that high end that people are saying. Uh, Stevie, how often does positional value factor into teams drafting someone, for example, to the Jets draft Will McDonald? Uh, 
wide receiver money market exploding, uh, McDonald cheaper. No. Uh-uh. So teams should do that. Okay. But it, it should be the kind of the other way around. So you're talking about the Seahawks um, drafting receiver. And you're talking about the Jets drafting an edge. So salary-wise, they're probably going to end up at the same point if, you know, both are available. You know, or both are good and they end up being free agents. Um, what you should be looking at is availability and free agency, where a wide receiver might be a little bit more available than an edge, but probably not. You know, they're, it's, they're probably equal. Um, but for the most part, most teams aren't you know, factoring these things into play, which is why running backs, safeties, tight ends, linebackers, they all get drafted high, um, <coughs> you know, from time to time. But really what you should be looking at when you value them, obviously you're valuing the players based on your scouting, right? You're giving them a score. Those scores should be adjusted up or down based on the positions. And you can rank the importance of the position to your team you can rank the importance of the position around the league um you can just use that do that with salary factors the other thing that's important to look at is free agent availability you know if i can't get an edge in free agency if i can't get a wide receiver in free agency why am i drafting a linebacker which is readily available in free agency um so for teams no it, it's most teams it's not a factor uh but it should be but i i think in this particular case I, I would look at wide receiver and edge probably as kind of equal. Um, but I th- I don't think the Jets were looking at it that way. Um, I think the Jets are just looking to get defensive players in there. And I think they thought the veterans and Wilson with uh, Rodgers were just the right way to go. Uh, another question from Stevie. I know it's early, but who from the Jets 2022 class um, should we be prepared to say goodbye to when it comes time to renegotiate? How many more years do we have before we cash one of them out via trade? So I, I don't know how many years that'll be. Um, here's the deal. If Joe Douglas is fired after next season, you're probably going to see some of those guys go. Uh, traditionally, the cornerback has been a position that is um, more often traded or allowed to move into free agency because the decline sometimes is pretty steep. And sometimes the player is a little bit more dependent on the defensive scheme that's going to be run. I don't think that's the case with Sauce Gardner. I'm not saying the decline isn't going to be there age-related. I think he's scheme independent. Um, I think he'd be fine no matter what. So, um, you know, but if I had to choose between the two, I think Gardner is the better player. Um, I think Wilson's terrific. I think Gardner's the better player. Um, but Gardner might be the one that is more likely to leave uh, than Wilson. But, you know, you, you have to see how things go. You know, if if things next year don't go anywhere and Rodgers gets hurt again, or I'm pretty sure he's going to play. You know, I'm just watching him before these games, throwing the football around. He clearly wants to be out there playing football. There's no way he's letting his career end unless some doctor tells him that, you know, he's going to have no quality of life. There's no way he's not going to be the Jets quarterback next season. But, you know, if he gets hurt again or the team just, you know, flops, at that point, they're not keeping Sal and Joe Douglas. I, I don't care if there's a token extension that's given this year. They're not keeping them. Um, then it all comes into play because, you know, if you can go out there and get two number ones for Gardner 
Uh, if you can get a one for Wilson, you know, now, now you're starting to, you know, talk about rebuilding your team and using these players that, you know, are great players, but are probably not going to be great for a time frame when you're going to be great. And then you do that. So I think that's that's probably the time to, to look at. So I think you'd be looking at 2025. Um <clears throat> as to what the possible exit dates would be from some of those players. But it's all it's all going to depend. If Douglas is still the GM, they're all going to get extended. If Douglas is not the GM, every option is going to be on the table. Brian, when do you expect Justin Jefferson to get his extension now? With Cousins likely done, does he want to stay? I would guess he wants to stay. Um, <coughs> I think, you know, he probably wants to have a discussion as to to what the, the options are in Minnesota. Um and I think Minnesota, you know, they have to decide just like with that, what I'm talking about here, you know, what, what kind of, what kind of offensive plan do you have going forward? What's your quarterback plan? How does that align with Jefferson? Um, now, again, you're always worried when guys get injured, but, uh, you know, I, I still have that opinion that Jefferson is just a otherworldly talent and I am less concerned, um, with him breaking down than, you know, I would have been with some of these other guys who do this, who got their extensions, um, you know, when they were younger and very quickly fell apart. But, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, we'll, we'll see in January how things go. February. Bear down. What would have been the best approach to acquiring an edge for the Bears, given the lack of top, uh, top end edges in the draft? Would you go the Ravens route? Um I don't know. I, I don't know what the uh, the best approach would be. You know, we saw what they did. Um, you know, you, you can look for some stability, which is what they did, or you can just kind of go year by year and just start getting veterans and bringing them in. You know, if, you, if you're trying to build a foundation, you know, probably what they did is the right way to get a player. I'm not sure about the two, but, um, you know, it's probably the better way, the right way to do it, given everything else. Uh, another question from Stevie. Given running backs are getting less money and wide receivers are getting more money, will we see teams go more for running back heavy offenses? Is it cheaper than going pass heavy? <coughs> Allowing splurges? Is it easier or cheaper for me to get the top two running backs than the top two receivers? Um, hmm. So, here's my opinion on this. I think you can be an oddball team and you can be a running team and you can have success in the NFL. I don't know if you can have success in the postseason with that approach. Um, you know, I I think because all the teams right now are built to play pass, that if you're that oddball team, this is what this is really what made San Francisco successful a couple of years ago, more than a couple of years ago. Um, but it, when you're that oddball team playing a different style, teams aren't ready for that. You know, they're not ready for that kind of approach. And when you can, you know, drag the game down into the mud, uh, you know, you, you can probably go there and you can win 10 games, 11 games in the regular season. But I think when you get into the playoffs and you play some of these better quarterbacks and they quickly put 14 points on the board, you have no ability to come back. Um, so I think that's an issue. Um, it's not... You know, for the position, here's the thing. See, here's the other thing that makes it hard. Um, I think if you're building this style of team, I'm not looking at this, is it easier for me to get the top two running backs? So 
Free agency is not an issue for running backs either because the guys suck by the time they're free agents. Um, you know, that that's just the fact of it. You know, their bodies are broken down. So my top two running backs are going to have to come by doing incredibly well in the draft, somewhere in the draft. Um, you know, or undrafteds to, to bring players in at that position. Realistically, what you would need to do if you were going to go with this approach um I think you would have to go out there and you would have to build an offensive line that has like the these guys who are just terrific, you know, your your road grader run blockers. Um I think that's really more where your success would come from utilizing that strategy where you're going to get five guys, six guys, I'll throw a tight end in there, six guys that can block. Now, you can probably find four of those players in free agency. Um might cost you a little bit, but you could probably find four of those players. I don't know if you'll find the left tackle. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure if you would, but, you know, it's, I, I think that's how you would have to do it. So I actually don't think it comes down to getting a running back. I think it says, I'm going to go out of my way to get a bunch of guys who are great at run blocking. Now, how those guys are going to hold up in the pass I don't know, but most of your passing is probably going to be focused on, you know, short, you know, short completion, quick pass kind of stuff to where the guys don't have to hold up that long. Um, so, you know, but I, I just don't think you can be successful in terms of trying to get a championship. But if you're just trying to be a relevant team, I think you can be relevant utilizing that type of strategy. Um, I don't know if, because we're talking about signing a couple of different players, I don't know which would be necessarily cheaper, but it is probably easier to get that than it is to find two stud wide receivers. DMAC Wake would be interesting to approximate how much financial flexibility the Tyree Kill traded for Kansas City. So, I mean, you could just look at Tyree Kill's contract if you want to see. You know, it saved them, you know, just ballpark figures. Um... You know, for the next three years. So you, you throw out 2022 because they took the dead money on that. What was he at in 22? No, he's only at 145. All right. So, I mean, from a cap perspective, um, 30, 60, 77, you know, probably like 83 million over a four year period. So, I mean, probably like 20 million a year. Um, you know, it's some money left over, you know, 20, 22 million a year. Um, you know, it's probably what you'd be looking at. Um, you know, if you were looking at this being the, the out year after 2024, um, 50, 72 million, um, you know, because you'd have that dead. So, you know, about 72 million over four years, you know, something like that. Um you know, so somewhere between 18 and 22 million, probably a season, um, you know, depending on how you'd want to do it. That's probably the flexibility that it created for them. Um, you know, and you can also look at that from a cash perspective and, you know, it's going to work out to be similar there. Um, you know, I, I think the issue with it, and this is one of the things you may why Mahomes want to go back to the table and say, oh, you know, I, I'd kind of like my salary raise a little bit, you know. Just because you let Hill walk doesn't mean you're going to replace Hill with another Tyree Kill. You know, it gives you more financial flexibility. It gives you more of an ability to 
you know, sign solid core players, um, you know, to help your team. You know, I'll say this. I, I think, and it's probably, you know, some people probably are going to say this is wrong, but the flexibility that was created by Tyreek Hill really didn't help their offense. What it did is it's probably helped Kansas City build a pretty good defense, um, you know, because that's the side of the ball where you find more of those kind of cheaper blue chippers, I think, um, through free agency. And, um, you know, I, I think that's given them the ability to spend a little bit more, um, you know, in that area to kind of improve their defense. Whereas on offense, you know, now some people might look at it, you know, and kind of did last year as well, like, okay, you trade away Tyree Kill and you replace him with two wide receivers, right? Juju Smith-Schuster had a solid enough year with the team for one year. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who's so-so. Eh, um, you know, you replace him with two guys. And you can look at it that way. But I think overall, when you look at the bigger picture, I think it's given them more of an ability to try to build up that defense while they've been trying to, via the draft and some trades, you know, get the right mix of players with Mahomes. I, I just don't think it's worked. Um, with what they've done. But I think that's really where it's been a little bit more. I think it's been draft to try to draft and trade to kind of get some receivers in and using that money that was saved to probably go out there and kind of build this defense. And, you know, this is an interesting team, I think, with Kansas City because they're a very good defensive team. And, you know, you, you just, you, you know Mahomes is going to get you somewhere, but they, they don't have, like, enough talent right now on that on the offensive side I think, to get you that consistent kind of offensive play. All right, let's see the last set of questions here, and then we'll call it a day. All right, just a couple more. Humbaba, uh, Prescott cap hit next year. Surely Cowboys need to do something. I think it's 63. Let's see, what does it add? 59, 59.45 is his cap hit next year. Um, you know, what do they need to do? They're going to need to extend him. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much the bottom line. Black Gold, any chance the Jets ask Rodgers to take another pay cut this offseason? Seems like he knows uh, he left us up the river this year and the extra money could help acquire Devontae and a real backup quarterback. Mm, I don't think so. Um, he's already taken a pretty big pay cut. You know, he's coming back off of surgery. Um, he might. But I, I don't think so. You know, I would look at it and be like, well, you know, you, you could have, maybe you should have just cut Carl Lawson. You know, you, you should have never signed Nicole Hardman. You never should have done this. You never should have done that. So I don't think they'll ask him to take a pay cut. I, I think at some point, you know, you, you get to the point and it's like, well, figure out how you manage your salary cap. You know, like, you can get Devontae Adams in here. No, he's not going to get cut, so that this one's probably a bad example. But, you know, you can get Devontae Adams in here. You know, what's he making? You know, they, they would need to have next year to trade for him 17.5. That's his cash number. But once you have that money to do that trade, to execute the trade, I mean, you can bring that cap number down to like $4 million. So, you know, I, I don't think he needs a pay cut. Um, you know, to do that. And I, I don't think he should agree to that. Dreadful, would you fire Bill Belichick if you were the owner? Um, I'm not going to fire him, but I, I would have that talk that, uh, you know, it's time to move on. And, um, you know, I, I think that's, uh, I think that's the, the thing that would come up here is uh, I think it'll be time for Belichick to move on. Um, I think that's, that's the way it's going to go. Um, 
I think I've mentioned this one before. This is probably what it would have been like for Tom Landry if um, social media existed back in his last year in the league, 1988. Um, you know, and I'm sure there was stuff that was tough for him in Dallas um, back then as well. But I, I think that's probably more what it would be. But I don't think you want to fire. I, I think you need to go down that route of having the um, the discussion where time to resign. You know, and if you do want to pursue your coaching career somewhere else, I'm not going to hold you to your contract. Um, but I think it's time to step aside. Jason, did the Raiders benching Jimmy G impact the Niners comp picks? I don't believe so, but I'll try to pass that along to Nick um, this week. He'll, he'll, he'll do an update of these probably at the midway point and see. But I don't think so. I would think his salary is high enough and he's played enough, uh, I would think, to where he would not get bumped down. AL, the Eagles saw Jason Kelsey and Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham might not be on the team this year. Contributions have been amazing. Do you have any thoughts on the economics of the retention or other veterans who might have stayed on the rosters instead of retiring? So, you know, a lot of times it's up to the players. Um, you know, Jason Kelsey has not looked for top-end contracts, very similar to his brother, right? Like, yeah, is he the highest-paid center? I mean, maybe, but, I mean, they're all one-year deals. Um, you know, it, it's never been with him about, like, you know, getting the biggest deal possible. You know, Fletcher Cox has been cut and re-signed, um, you know, essentially at pay cut levels. Um, you know, Brandon Graham, you know, th it's been a lot of contract manipulations and maneuverings and everything else. Um, I do think that there are players around the league that would probably benefit from that, but I think the majority of players, and now this is a credit to the Eagles, Eagles organization and I think the culture they've created there, because... Not only is it a championship culture, but they've created this, I think, this relationship that usually doesn't exist anymore between a city and the players on the team. Now, maybe that would fall apart if the Eagles stunk again, um, or just stunk. The Eagles haven't been bad in a long time. Um, maybe that would happen, but it's created this, this kind of love affair to where I think these guys like to be involved in in the city. They like to be part of the organization. They like to be in there. And with a lot of other teams, it's not the case. It's like, oh, uh, you know, you, you need to take a pay cut. It's like, no. Well, you're probably not going to play anywhere. No, I'm going to get a job somewhere, and it's going to be for a lot more than you're telling me. And then you end up out of the league. And I think that's what happens to a lot of players. I think they overestimate what they're worth. And... You know, they get cut. And, you know, the, the stuff I was talking about before where you get the new GMs come in, you you don't have, they have no emotional attachment to you at all. So they get rid of you. So, you know, really what you'd be looking at here are just a handful of franchises. Um, you know, Kansas City, maybe Cincinnati. Um, now, Cincinnati, I'm only kind of using them because of how long they keep players there, not necessarily this great history of winning. Uh, Green Bay, um, Pittsburgh. You know, th those are areas where I think you can have veterans that, that are willing to stick around and they can still be productive, um, you know, playing there. But, you know, I, I think that's kind of what happens is, um, you know, these changes that you see. And a lot of it, it, it's that turnover in the front office. You know, that's a lot of it. You know, if you go back, um, way back in time with the NFL, and, you know, th this is one of the problems where, you know, people talk about, um, analytics and sports and, you know, people just get all over it. 
um, you know, people that cover the NFL, you know, even on broadcasts that cover the NFL, one of the reasons they get all over it is there is this memory of growing up watching the NFC dominate the AFC for over a decade where you went in there and you just butchered teams with your running game, you butchered teams with your defense, and you had these veteran players on those teams that had a lot of experience and they continued to be productive and you were good year after year after year after year um, until things finally fell apart. That league doesn't exist. You know, at that point in time, teams were afraid to play younger players. You could retain tons and tons of players because free agency didn't exist. You know, there wasn't a salary cap. There was no free agency. You just kept your guys until, you know, they, they completely fell apart. Um, so, you know, the league was just completely different back then. Um, so, you know, it, it's just a, it's a weird thing. Um, with the way that you see these players come and go, but it's a combination too. It's a combination of, I don't want to play for less, and then general managers coming in that have no attachment to the organization at all, and it's just like, you're gone. You know, you're, you're 29 years old, you're out. Um, so, you know, or in this case, it'd be like, you know, you're 33, you're 34, 35, you're gone. So, um, you know, I think that's, uh, that's the way it goes. Uh, Jay, given the state of the injured quarterback market, which backups do you think uh, teams will use as their starter next year? Dobbs, Minshew. Um, right now, I don't think people plan on any of those um, kind of players being a starter. You know, if, you, you, if you're looking at, like, teams that are going to have bad starters, like, well, there's going to be a lot of teams that have bad starters, but teams that go into a season with, like, a mid-level starter, you're probably looking at teams that are just not going to be good enough to draft a quarterback. Um, you know, so you'd be looking at Washington, you know, they, they may end up with a record that's good enough to not have to draft a quarterback or not be in a position to draft a quarterback. Um, and Goff's okay. The Raiders, Arizona's going to be their own doing, depending on what they do. Tampa, possibly. I think the Rams are almost in that position. I think Stafford's hitting that wall now. Minnesota. Minnesota may keep Cousins. I, I'm not sure. Um, Atlanta. I mean, Green Bay is going to keep Love. There's nothing there, but, I mean, you could say Green Bay. You know, Green Bay and Seattle, probably, but, I mean, it's going to be the guys they have now. I just don't know if you'd really consider those guys good starters. Same with Steelers. Like Steelers is going to be Pickett and Trubisky. There's just not a lot of upside there. Same thing with the Browns. There's nothing there with Watson anymore. I don't think, at least. Um, Broncos should be drafting. Yeah, those teams, you know, the Saints are going to have Carr. Um, you know, so it, it's those couple of teams, if you're probably looking at, like, having to go out there and scramble and find those Baker Mayfield, Gardner Minshew, um, you know, type quarterbacks and plug them in as a starter for a year. It's going to be those handful of teams. 
Uh, Eddie, can the Raiders get out of any of the Jimmy G contract money or move any of the future cap hit to this year as they have some space? Um, so by cutting him, you know, I mentioned that you'd move up 11.25 to this year and you'd still have your chance for your offsets and everything else. That's probably the best way for it. Um, otherwise, you know, they're, they're going to have to. So here's the thing. And this is the other thing that's kind of crazy about it. They're not going to be able to cut Jimmy Garoppolo in February. You know, if you, if you just want it to turn the page because it would accelerate onto the 2023 salary cap. And they're not going to have enough cap room to do it, right? They're all carries over and they're not going to have enough. So um, he's going to actually have to be cut after the new league year begins. Yeah, they could June 1 him if they want. It doesn't really defer a lot. Um, you know, th- and that really wouldn't make sense. His cap number would be higher, I think. Um, so, you know, I-, I think the the only thing would just be you just say we screwed up, hope somebody claims him on waivers, and just do it. Do it this week. You know, do it after Thanksgiving. Um, you know, if you don't want to do it this week, do it after Thanksgiving. You know, see if anybody gets hurt. And, you know, you're just passing a guy through waivers. Brian, Chargers didn't sell for some reason. Has their outlook changed after getting humiliated by the Jets? Um, at some point, you know, that's a, that's an organization that probably has a chance to make a mid-season change to the coach. Um, you know, if things continue to, you know, if they don't live up to expectations um, that the team has, I, I think that's a that's a possibility. Um, but we'll see how things go. I expect them to lose tonight. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that goes, and uh, then we'll, we'll see how the where the Chargers go from there. But, yeah, the Chargers are probably going to be in for a lot of changes in the offseason as well. All right, so that does it for me. So hopefully we'll get this up probably after, well after the Jets game. Um, so... Thank you very much for listening or watching if you're one of the people watching on YouTube. And um, hopefully I'll be back this Friday or Saturday to do another podcast um, rather than doing a Monday one. So we can be back. I've got my Southern Tears still. So we'll have those uh, if we do a weekend podcast. So everybody have a uh, great week. Enjoy the Jets' uh, domination of the Chargers tonight. And I will talk to you all again soon.